Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, Ravi Zacharias's daughter forms a new ministry, but some former staff members of RZIM and donors to that organization have concerns. And T.D. Jakes is doing a big real estate deal in Atlanta. We begin today with the latest chapter in the continuing saga at Liberty University. Yeah, former vice president at Liberty University is suing that school, alleging that he was fired after he complained about how Liberty was handling sexual assaults on campus. Scott Lamb served as Liberty's chief media spokesman during the tumultuous final years of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s term as president of the school. He remained at Liberty following Falwell's 2020 resignation after a series of controversial incidents. But in a complaint filed on Monday of this week in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Virginia, Lamb alleges that he attended a meeting on October the 4th at which several top Liberty leaders, including President Jerry Prevo discussed how the university had responded to a series of high-profile reports of sexual assaults on campus. And in July, 12 women filed a lawsuit alleging that Liberty's leaders had created an unsafe environment on campus, alleging that the university's honor code, known as the Liberty Way, made it difficult or impossible for students to report sexual violence. Lamb's complaint alleges that he did disagreed with how the school had responded to those cases of sexual abuse. The complaint also alleges that school officials retaliated against Lamb for taking part in an investigation into Falwell's time in office. But Liberty has a different explanation of the firing. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, In an October 25th statement to the Washington Post, Liberty said that Scott Lamb was terminated after a meeting about a recent review of the area under his management. They go on to say this, while we are generally reticent to comment on personnel matters, we would like to make it clear that Lamb's advice on how to publicly respond to the Jane Doe Title IX lawsuit played no role in his termination. Our next story involves another college and the Christian author and talk show host, Eric Metaxas. Yeah, hundreds of students, faculty, and alumni of Swanee, more formally known as the University of the South, a private Episcopal school in Tennessee, have signed a petition calling for the school to revoke an honorary degree that it gave to Eric Metaxas, who's an evangelical radio host and author, uh, citing comments that he allegedly made uh, regarding LGBTQ issues and the 2020 election. The petition contends that in the years since the honorary degree was conferred in 2015, Eric Metaxas has used his substantial public profile 
to attack lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer LGBTQ people, and to attack American democracy itself by his role in events related to the January 6th insurrection attempt. Metaxas is the author of several books, both for adults and children, and is the host of the Eric Metaxas radio show, a nationally syndicated radio program broadcast in more than 120 cities around the United States. Yeah, Swanee spokesman Laurie Sexton said uh, the request has been received by the vice chancellor and is under review, but she also said that it's a process that involves four bodies that must each decide by a two-thirds majority in order to proceed. Now, Warren, you spoke to Eric Metaxas yesterday. Yeah, I did. I was interviewing him on a completely different topic. Uh, But since this news just broke this week, I asked him about it. And he said that he had not been paying much attention to the situation. But he also said that he didn't much care what a group of what he called woke students at Swanee thought about him. He was going to continue doing what he was always been doing. Now, there's also a new chapter in the Ravi Zacharias story. Sarah Davis, the daughter of Ravi Zacharias, is now starting a new organization that focuses on evangelism and apologetics. Yeah, Sarah Davis was both Ravi Zacharias's daughter and the CEO of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, RZIM. She is leaving RZIM nine months after an independent investigation detailed the abuse and misconduct of Ravi Zacharias. The new organization is tentatively named Encounter. Yeah, neither Davis nor Michael Ramston, who was the president of RZIM, would confirm her departure nor any details about Encounter. But according to reporting done by Christianity Today, it will likely be housed in the same headquarters that housed RZIM uh, near Atlanta, northeast part of Atlanta, and will be led by Davis and other longtime RZIM staff. Uh, Encounter is a holding name for a new Christian evangelism and apologetics ministry that we have formed with a talented team of speakers, writers, media specialists, and professional staff. That was what Davis said in an emailed statement to Religion News Service. But Davis did not answer questions about the funding for the new organization. No, she did not. Uh, she did say that more details about the ministry would be forthcoming, uh, but critics of RZIM worry that Sarah Davis is leading what is essentially just a stealth reboot of RZIM. Former staff members have said that uh, simply putting a new package on a broken item doesn't fix the problem. They also said that concerns about where the money for the new organization is coming from should also face scrutiny. Uh, Former RZIM donors have in fact sued RZIM in federal court, alleging that the ministry misled supporters and covered up uh, Ravi Zacharias' abuse. The attorney for the plaintiffs said that he was aware of the plans for a new ministry. Warren, let's take a look at one more story before the break. It's a story of Dallas televangelist T.D. Jakes. He plans a new big real estate development in Atlanta. 
Yeah, officials in Atlanta have approved Bishop T.D. Jakes' plans for a multi-use uh, development on a former army base there. Uh, Jakes, uh, founder of the Potter's House uh, in Dallas, Texas, bought nearly 95 acres of what was formerly the Fort McPherson Army Base, which is in South Fulton County, Georgia, kind of just south of the city limits of Atlanta. They He bought it four months ago for $29 million. The Fort Mac Local Redevelopment Authority approved T.D. Jakes Real Estate Ventures LLC's initial master plan just last week. Jakes became interested in the site after noticing while hosting his yearly Megafest Gospel Festival in Atlanta that gentrification was driving people out of lower-income neighborhoods and that the Fort McPherson area lacked basic amenities. Yeah, that's right. And that's also why a lot of people in Atlanta are praising the development, which will include uh, mixed income housing, restaurants, a grocery store, a pharmacy, hotel rooms and public spaces. Uh, Natasha, I should add that I'm originally from Atlanta. I grew up in an era when Fort McPherson was still a military base, but that uh, former site of Fort McPherson has been really an eyesore and a problem for Atlanta for years. So, uh, like I say, a lot of people think that this is a really positive step in the redevelopment of that facility. The project could also add, at least according to T.D. Jakes, hundreds of jobs in the area. But you have a few concerns. Yeah, I do. Despite what I just said, I think it's worth noting that T.D. Jakes' theology is not in the mainstream of evangelicalism. He has long been a part of a movement called the Oneness Pentecostal Movement, which has rejected the historic view of the Trinity. Now, I don't want to get too much into the theological weeds here, but... He believes in a doctrine called modalism, which is different from Trinitarianism. It rejects the historic view of the Trinity as one God, three persons. And secondly, maybe as a part of that modalism, which is fairly common in Pentecostalism, he has embraced the prosperity gospel as well. Now, a lot of his work in Dallas is commendable. His church, the Potter's House, does a lot of outreach to the poor. They've operated health clinics, homeless assistants, and just a whole lot more. But some of his critics have said that these activities do little more than put a charitable veneer on an empire that has made T.D. Jakes himself a very wealthy man. Because neither T.D. Jakes nor his church are very transparent, we really don't know how rich he is. But there are lots of estimates floating around on the internet that have his net worth of around $20 million, and some have it much higher than that. So Ministry Watch's bottom line is that these activities are worth reporting about. They are significant, but we would counsel donors not to donate to his organizations before they uh, ask and get answers to many more questions about how much money he has and where that money is going. Warren, we need to take a break here, but when we return, pastors in Georgia, Virginia, and Maryland defraud their flocks, and we'll have the details. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next... A Georgia pastor has been indicted by a federal grand jury on charges relating to stealing thousands of dollars in COVID-19 assistance funds and using some of the money to buy a luxury car. Yeah, that pastor's name is Mac Devin Knight, and he is accused of lying to the Small Business Administration in applications for economic injury disaster loans. That's according to a press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Georgia. If convicted, the pastor could face financial penalties and up to 30 years in prison, followed by a period of supervised release as well. In addition to being a pastor, Knight also describes himself as a mortician, a restaurateur, and tax preparer. Yeah, and it's apparently all these moonlighting businesses that has gotten him into trouble. He applied for the loans in February and March on behalf of two of his Camden County, Georgia businesses. According to the indictment, the applications falsely claimed that the businesses each had hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue before the pandemic. Knight sent a false bank document, and one of the applications was approved. The indictment says that he received about $149,000, a portion of which he used to buy a Mercedes-Benz luxury automobile. And that wasn't the only faith-based fraud in the news this week. That's right. A federal grand jury has indicted a Virginia man who they say duped investors out of more than $740,000 by convincing them to help him build a religion-themed family entertainment venue. This, again, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Charlotte, North Carolina, my hometown, said in a news release that Michael Mandel Baldwin of Alexandria, Virginia, made fraudulent statements to investors about what he was calling the Miracle Mansion and solicited investments from Charlotte area churches and its members. Uh, Baldwin also made claims to individuals and other entities across the United States, including Virginia, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, and elsewhere, according to the indictment. As part of the scheme, prosecutors said that Baldwin had created and distributed promotional materials to potential investors that described the Miracle Mansion as a -a one-of-a-kind entertainment complex which he would build near Washington, D.C. It would provide a high-quality performing arts experience that promotes family-focused inspiration, entertainment, and enrichment, all anchored by a biblical worldview. In addition, Baldwin falsely told potential investors that the Kennedy Center and high-level executives at Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A had endorsed and supported Miracle Mansion. And of course, none of that ended up being true. Baldwin is formally charged with wire fraud and securities fraud. Each charge carries a sentence of 20 years in prison. Our next story involves another pastor and a different kind of fraud. 
Yeah, uh, Maryland pastor this time is uh, facing federal charges in connection with a scheme to fraudulently obtain permanent resident status for foreign nationals by arranging marriages to U.S. citizens. The indictment filed by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Maryland alleges that Joshua Shonubi, the pastor of New Life City in Hyattsville, Maryland, took thousands of dollars from foreign nationals in exchange for these arranged marriages. Then he recruited and groomed U.S. citizens as potential spouses, promising them money in exchange. The U.S. citizens were expected to sponsor their new mates for citizenship through the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. Yeah, according to the seven-count indictment uh, filed October 20th, the activities took place from at least January 14th through January of 2021, about seven years. Uh, The indictment alleges that Shanubi and co-conspirators submitted at least 60 application packages to the USCIS seeking permanent residence status, each documenting a marriage between a U.S. citizen and a foreign national. Uh, Shanubi allegedly used his position within his church to recruit the U.S. participants, uh, which included some economically disadvantaged citizens uh, in his congregation. The indictment also said that he allegedly officiated some of these fraudulent marriages himself and arranged for some civil marriage ceremonies to be performed in Virginia. If convicted, Shinobi faces a maximum sentence of five years in federal prison for conspiracy to commit visa fraud and marriage fraud, and a maximum of five years in federal prison for each of the six counts of presenting false documents to a federal government agency. Warren, we're going to take another quick break here, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. And we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, for the past few months, we've been doing a series of stories on consulting organizations that work with high net worth donors to help them make more strategic philanthropic decisions. This week, we feature Calvin Edwards and Company, a company that analyzes Christian ministries for donors who want to make big gifts and helps both the organizations and the donors adopt best practices. I should add in a spirit of full disclosure that Ministry Watch has worked with Calvin Edwards in the past on a number of projects, including a booklet that we'll be publishing next month called 75 Red Flags. It's a checklist of questions that 
donors should ask before donating to a ministry. But until then, you can read Steve Raby's profile of Calvin Edwards and Company on our website. And what's next? Well, in the category of news you can use, our friends at Religion Unplugged asked a question that is on the agenda of a lot of pastors and church leaders these days, and it is this. Should their churches unplug from online services now that the COVID pandemic seems to be receding a bit? Lots of churches and churchgoers have gotten much more comfortable with online services, but there are significant drawbacks and costs to going and staying online. This article by Paul Gladder and John Simacula takes a deep dive into some of these issues. Uh, we were delighted that they let us reprint this article on our site, and I really recommend it to you. You can find it by going to the front page of the ministrywatch.com website. Who do you have in our ministry spotlight this week? Well, this week, someone, I uh, guess you could say maybe a little bit different for us, and that is Hillsdale College. Uh, a lot of people know Hillsdale because of their newsletter in Primus, which is sent out to more than a million people each month. Uh, Hillsdale was founded in the 1840s by Free Will Baptist. But, and this is why it's a little bit different for us, it is not really a Christian college per se. Uh, So, for example, it doesn't have a statement of faith. It doesn't uh, uh, require chapel services or even the signing of a statement of faith for its faculty members. But it is one of the best-known conservative colleges in the country, and because a lot of evangelicals donate to the school and send their kids to the school, we track uh, Hillsdale as part of the Ministry Watch database. You can read our analysis by going to the ministrywatch.com website. The article there by Rod Pitzer is right on the front page. Among the things you'll notice uh, there is that Hillsdale's revenue is now approaching $300 million, which is more than a doubling in size just in the past five years alone. Uh, But you should also know that it spends about 20% of its revenue on fundraising. Now, that's a huge amount more than 10 times what other colleges in its peer group spends. And who do you have in the Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, we have a number, but I want to highlight uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They're inducting four nominees into their Hall of Champions. They do this every year. The 2021 class includes uh, Gary Williamson, Bob Williams, Chang Wan Kim, and Diana Myers. Uh, This class, these four people are made up of FCA partners, servants, and sports standouts. Uh, Each inductee was involved with spreading or supporting the vision of FCA, which is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. By the way, the FCA Hall of Champions, which began 30 years ago in 1991, now has 119 coaches, athletes, board members, and volunteers in its ranks. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, just a couple. First, I want to let everybody know that we have a limited supply of the hardback version of Faith-Based Fraud. It's kind of a special edition. We just printed a few of those uh, that we wanted to give away to key ministry leaders, but we had a few left over. So we're offering these books for a gift of any size as a thank you gift if you make a donation to Ministry Watch before the end of October. That's just a few days. Um, So if you're one of the first 100 who respond, you'll also get an autographed hardback copy. So if you haven't gotten your copy of Faith-Based Fraud or if you want a special hardback, 
paperback version for your bookshelf or maybe as a gift, go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. But remember, this offer ends on Sunday, October the 31st. Anything else? Well, just a reminder that there's a quick, easy, and free way that you can support this podcast, and that is simply to give us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the more attention we get from search engines, and that helps new listeners find us. And by the way, when you give us a rating, leave us a comment. I read them all. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Christina Darnell, Anne Stike, Paul Gladder, John Semakula, Catherine Post, Pierre Richard Luxema, Nancy Binak, Steve Raby, and Bob Smetania. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.